You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, All right, everybody, settle down. We have a guest with us this week, Anna Kaminsky, Associate Medical Director, Planned Parenthood of the Great Northwest. That's Washington, most of it, Idaho, and all of Alaska, is joining us today to bat around some questions we've been getting from all you out there listening about safety, about disease, about sexually transmitted infections. Thank you for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much. Uh, th- uh, Planned Parenthood. Alaska Associate. You have your work cut out for you up there. We have plenty of work cut out for us up there. We merged with all three states about a year ago, and Alaska certainly is one of the states that is interested in chipping away some of the access to good reproductive health care, and we're pushing those chips back. Sarah Palin, pro or con? You, you really have position. to ask me? <laughs> I'm just, you know, just you say Alaska and Planned Parenthood in the same sentence, and all you can think of, of course, is Bristol Palin. Yeah, that is almost all you can think of. Who says she's for abstinence now? As long as it's not her. Well, she's uh, certainly, as Stephen Colbert said, imagine how many kids she would have if she weren't abstinent. It, it, scary. Just scary. It's true. Well, I, I will say that uh, one of the... One of the great things about abstinence is that you can choose to have it one day at a time. (laughs) I've been abstinent all morning. Oh, then you're in good shape. I am so right with God. And Bristol is proud of you. My virginity comes in and out like the tides. Yes, we can re-virginize you in an hour or so. (laughs) Well, we have an hour to spend with Anna Kaminsky from Planned Parenthood, and we'll get to your questions right after this. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com, where you can find over 18,000 adult entertainment products for every lifestyle. To receive 50% off most any item, plus three adult DVDs, plus an extra gift, plus free shipping, visit adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. Um, a college student uh, in uh, Florida here. I'm a 23-year-old gay man, and um, within the past hour, I've been diagnosed with uh, HPV. And I remember hearing on some of your uh, podcasts that uh, the virus itself might that the immune system eventually, after a few years, can pass the virus, uh, unless I heard you wrong. I was wondering, because I asked um, the doctor uh, about that information, and they uh, told me that it's the virus that basically stays through your whole life. I, I trust the doctor. I trust your opinion. I was wondering what, where, um, what I should expect, and should I have some false hope? I noticed when he was quoting his doctor, you were shaking your head. I am happy to correct a couple of those assumptions that he has or assumptions that he was um, informed about. That is doctor made. That is doctor made. So, but first, let's define terms. HPV, okay. the human virus. Papilloma. Papilloma. Why can't it, sound, it sounds like a city in California, but I can never remember it. So for me, it's just the human virus. You, you can use it that way, and that's why we say HPV. For idiots like me. Yeah, well, you, I don't. I don't think you qualify as that, but we'll take that one. <laughs> so, so it's um, a very common virus. Even if it, but it's very common. Many people have it. Most sexually active adults have been exposed. That is right. Most people are asymptomatic. Most people have no clue that they were exposed, or that they have it, or that they had it. Because it's true, you do clear HPV. There are about eighty types of HPV. Um, not all of them are going to cause either a wart or 
precancer or cancer. And Cervical in, cancer. Well. In women, but also anal, anal cancer, cancer, they believe, in men, men and throat cancer. cancer. Uh, yes, there's a lot. There's more concern and more research going on about throat cancer now, as well as penile cancer. So to kind of separate those things out, the first thing to know is that most of our good data is about women, and we're still working on experiences that men may have with Because the medical field is so sexist that they rarely study diseases in men, but please go on. Yes, except for pregnant women who nobody <laughs> studies ever. <laughs> so, well, well, let's back up for a second. We've made it sound so terrifyingly dangerous. Like, oh, my God, right. you're going to get throat cancer and dick cancer and ass cancer and twat cancer. Most people have been exposed who are sexually active to HPV, and only a very tiny number of people. Very tiny number of people. Get a cancer as a result. That's right. Absolutely. Most of the time, what this wart likes to do is to get into a cell, cause it to divide a few different ways and different times, and give you this appearance of a wart. Just like when you get warts on your fingers or your toes, and you know those do go away by themselves, mm -hmm. so will most, but not all, of the HPV. It looks like the longest-lasting ones can last up to 20 years, but most are going to clear in two to three years. The hard part is knowing which one do you have. And even harder than that is we can't even tell you which one you have because for research purposes we'll type, but just walking in a clinic door, we're not going to check and so see So maybe what, what his doctor meant was you should assume that for the indefinite moderate future you are infected and infectious and it's not going away. At any – yes. At any given time, about 1 percent of heterosexual men do have HPV in, on, near their skin. 30 percent of women at any given time. It ebbs and flows though. It goes away. It comes back. So the truth is unless he stops having sex today, we don't recommend that. If you have stop having sex today, that wart that you have is going to go away and you'll probably never get another one. People fear HPV seeming, in my opinion, out of all proportion to the damage it actually does. I agree. Them. And so moving forward, what is this guy's responsibility around safety? Condoms will not protect from HPV transmission. It's skin to skin. Skin to skin. Friction. Moisture. Everything we're talking about today likes wet and warm. That goes along with the Everyone genitals. Everyone in this room, I think, likes wet and warm. Wet and warm is better than cold and dry. The, the condoms protect women about half of the time, but not men. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it's friction, skin to skin. Tends not. We, you guys don't have a cervix, so that's what the condom You're is You're making protecting. a big assumption there. I could be well, intersexed. Just you, throwing that out there. You could be. You've written enough for me to know that you're not. Oh, drat. I hate it when they're informed. <laughs> so this fag who called in, who just got the diagnosis, what's your advice to him as Planned Parenthood person? How should he conduct himself? What should he do? What should he tell his partners? I hate to stifle a good sex life. Condoms are a good idea. Condoms are the only thing that I can recommend to decrease your risk. If you're a gay man who knows your HIV status, which I think is important, you should discuss whether or not to get anal pap smears over the course of your life. If you have HIV, you should get anal pap smears. That's something that we do very much like a cervical pap smear. Um, if you don't use condoms, I think you need to really know that what you're doing 
is passing back and forth something that your partner probably already has. Now, of course, there's lots of different types. Um, but you haven't ruined your life and you haven't ruined his life. Does he need to disclose because he knows? I think honesty is a really good policy. I do, too. This is one of those places, though, where honesty can get you into a lot of what? trouble. It can ruin your sex life. And But I'm still for it. I still think people should disclose because people – he needs to be informed about HPV, more informed than his doctor left him because yes. when he tells guys he has HPV, they're going to freak out. And, you know, if he's having you know more than one sex partner, then the very next thing out of his mouth needs to be, I have HPV and you do too, most likely. You just don't know it. Well, I have one other thing that I'm going to add to the mix, and that is the HPV vaccines, which are recommended for all women under the age of 26. We used to say, oh, only if you've only had three or less sex partners, um, because it treats different kinds of virus, different numbers. They're numbered one through 80 or so. Different numbers on these um, virus types. It's like we the Beanie Babies of sexually transmitted infections, yes, this fucking type, HPV virus. Type 16, 18, 6, 11, there's but a lot. But the vaccine retires a few of them, just like Tyco used to do with the Beanie Babies. It does retire them. And so they're recommending the vaccine for boys yeah. now or allowing it for boys. I'm That's getting my right. son vaccinated for HPV to protect his future female sex partners. But what about gay guys? Absolutely. If you're under 26... I think you ought to be doing it. You ought to be vaccinated. I think so. And I think eventually we're going to move to that. I called Group Health just to find out if they're covering it. They are. Group Health is one of our large health insurance providers here in Seattle. Um, I know that there are other large health insurance providers who have decided to go ahead and cover it for boys and men up to age 26. What that's going to do for you is change that conversation you get to have with your partner. You can say, hey, you know what? Somebody find a, found a wart virus near my anus. Um, I've had it treated. It's true you might be able to get it, but you're probably not going to get anything worse than a virus that can be treated or a wart that can be treated. Why don't you get the vaccine because you're a gay guy and you won't be able to get cancer from it? So the biggest thing is something cosmetic that's irritating. We can treat that. We can freeze it. We can give you some cream that doesn't feel very good, but it works. Or a belt sander. Belt sander is probably a little um, over the top, but effective. let me know if it works. <laughs> hey, Dan. I'm a 24-year-old gay man from your favorite southern state, and I've got a question or two for you. Um, a few years ago, my boyfriend of three years cheated on me and gave me herpes. As you can imagine, we have since broken up, but recently I have met someone new who I like a lot. We've been seeing each other for dates fairly regularly, and on our most recent date, things kind of headed towards the hot and heavy, and I sat him down, and I had the talk. Uh, since that night, he's been pretty scarce. Um, we've talked, and he says that his feelings for me haven't changed, but I can definitely tell there's a change in our dynamic. Um, I know he is well within his right to bail. He says he's not really sure what to do. So I guess my first question is, should I make it easy for him? Should I throw him a bone and just give him an out? And also, um, if this doesn't work out, uh, at what point do you recommend me disclosing my status to uh, future potential boyfriends? I'm, pre I'm pretty heavily involved with this current guy emotionally, and I'm not really sure if I can, how many times I can handle, 
um, starting up a potential relationship for it to all come crashing down when they find out that I have herpes. I want to start this response by saying herpes is not a big deal and people shouldn't react to it like it's a big deal. And But when I say that, I always want to add, but I don't have herpes, which means that I am slightly uncomfortable with herpes myself and don't want to be perceived as having herpes so that it is a deal. Maybe not a, a, the big deal that people make it out to be, but still my hesitancy around being identified or people assuming I have herpes means I'm a fucking hypocrite. I don't know if you are or you're not, but I will tell you. Come on, we spent 10 minutes together already. <laughs> Usually by now people hate me and know I'm a hypocrite. Nope, you haven't gone there yet. <laughs> you have to work harder on that one. So um, it's not a big deal. Herpes. I'm going to start off with that statement and then give you more information about it. Herpes causes so many tears and fights and breakups, and I would love to have you hold on to the decision-making about that relationship until you hear more about this. And even more, get this guy on the line, because I think it's really important for people to understand how common it is, how little problem it causes, and how much strife goes into the discussion around it. I have a I have a resource. Yeah, go for it. One of my one of my favorite resources is called The Herpes Handbook. It's published out of a clinic in Portland, Oregon, the Westover Heights Clinic, I believe is their name. Um, half of it is medical information, the other half is sort of practicing how to talk. They in, they also have on their website videos on sort of how to give the news, sort of practice questions. So let's back up for a moment. 60% of people have had and have antibodies to HSV-1. HSV-1, herpes simplex virus 1, is the one that occurs around your mouth, your nose. Most of us get it in childcare or in grammar school. We get it from moms and dads and uncles that kiss us when they have a cold sore and they just didn't know that it was a cold sore. Cold sores are no big deal. Everybody has a cold sore. We get rid of cold sores. 60% of you are going to have them. I just can't get all freaked out about a cold sore. Maybe it makes you look unattractive for a few days. I have medicines for that. I still get freaked out when my uncles kiss me, though. Well, have you told them that you have kind of some boundaries and personal space and issues? Actually, the, the kisses from my uncles all dried up when I came out of the closet. That was kind That's of the end good. of that bad then, action right there. I was, you know, I think uh, some of my other relatives might want to come out as gay, even if they're not, just to stop the uncle kissing. Well, we're talking about oral occurrences here, not genital. So we'll, we'll move on to the genital for a moment, and hopefully that wasn't the issue with your uncles. No, 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 it was Okay, not. good. So, HSV-2. But thank you for the mental image. I'm going to lie down on the floor now while you give the rest of your response. (laughs) Not recommended. Okay, never mind. We'll move away from the uncles. So, HSV-2, herpes simplex virus 2, is the one that prefers the wet and warm environment of genitals. Although you can get it up on your mouth, your lips. Um, 25% of us have antibodies by the time we're over 12. Now, that freaks out some people. That means, oh, my gosh, all these kids have been molested by somebody uncles. like an – I was going to say uncle. So, But not my uncles who are all good and decent Catholic mm-hmm. men. That is suspicious and not when a priest, you say – not a single okay, priest Okay, good, good. So what's really important about that is it is common. And I don't know if you've gotten yourself tested, Dan. 
I have. Okay. So there's there's antibodies in your bloodstream that can tell you whether you've been exposed or not. IgG is the name of the antibody that we look for, and you do need to get what's called type-specific testing. So I'm speaking to you out there, type-specific testing. If you have HSV2, you are likely, and that's the genital one, you are likely to have anywhere from four to six episodes a year. Our current recommendation after you have been diagnosed is to go on, for the first year at least, to go on suppressive therapy. That means that you're going to tell the virus that is in your cells that likes to multiply and give you that outbreak not to do that. When you suppress, you're much less likely to be transmitting to a partner. So one thing that you can offer is to go on suppressive therapy. Go talk to somebody, hopefully, that likes to talk about sex and likes to educate on sex. Tell them you want to be on suppression. There's three different medicines we can use. And that will bring down your risk of transmitting, giving off HSV on your risk of transmitting skin. this virus that there's a really good chance your partner already has been exposed That's to. That's right. I mean, that's the thing that people need to emphasize when they have the conversation with their partners. I'm being honest with you. I'm telling you, please don't penalize me for it. Odds are you may have already been exposed. I'm on suppressive therapy. We'll use condoms. We'll be careful. Herpes risk, small, aren't I worth it? I mean, that's kind of where you have to take the conversation. That is true. Honesty is important. Nobody wants to have a first herpes outbreak because they really do make you feel very lousy. People look like they have the flu. They have fevers. They have chills. Um pretty impressive headaches, you're down for a few days the very first time. That being said, 70% of people have no idea when they got it and are absolutely unaware that they had a primary outbreak. Part of that is sometimes we're not that good at seeing it on the skin and we may misdiagnose. Part of that is it actually is pretty innocuous. It really isn't something that a lot of people notice. And how many people who have that first outbreak never have an outbreak in the future. They just have that initial outbreak. That is a small percentage, about 15 to 20% never have another outbreak, mm-hmm. um, but they can shed. Never have another outbreak, but they still can potentially They'd be shed. be infectious. Yes. It means your immune system has got it corralled in the nerve endings in the sacral plexus where those nerves are living, uh, a nerve collection. And those, those, uh, those um, kind of antiviral antibodies that you've made are being fairly effective. Um, now, about this guy, let's yeah. address this guy's specific question. Yeah. What should he do? Should he give this guy an out? Should he have this conversation with guys in the future? He's obviously become emotionally invested in this guy, and then he gave him the big scary news, and the other guy is freaking out and backing off a little bit. What's your advice as a Planned Parenthood educator for this guy who's, I think, doing everything right? He's disclosing yeah. – Dating, disclosing, not hiding under a rock, obviously not you know, terrified and shamed by it, but had a bad reaction and now I was wondering if he's doing the right thing. He's doing the right thing. Yeah, you know, the, the, the truth of the matter is that information is good um, and there's a lot out there. I think his next step is to say, to develop sort of a confidence level in saying this around, I'm not sure if you know how common this is. In fact, you've probably had it. He's a gay guy. He's been exposed. Oral sex is a great way to get exposed. Heterosexuals are even more exposed because there's that vagina and cervix, which is more likely to have it. Um, there you go again, assuming I don't have a cervix. 
No, I didn't say that about you. Oh, well, you just said heterosexual. It's like, I'm gay. I could have a cervix. You could if you... On a shelf at home. Yes, on a shelf at home. (laughs) For example, if you have HSV2 in the genital area, 15 to 20% of your days, that means... How many days is that out of the year? Are you good at math? No, I'm terrible at math. That would be 35. 75 days out of the year. Up to 75 days out of the year, you may be shedding some virus and have absolutely nothing on your skin. So what should you tell this guy? The other days are fine. And if I take a suppressive medication, I'm even less likely to be shedding. It's not zero for you. And it's true. You might get herpes. But there's something we can do to treat it. Looking to spice things up in the bedroom? Fantasizing about surprising your lover with an adventurous new toy or adult movie? Well, here's an offer you won't be able to resist. Go to adamandeve.com for a limited time only. You'll get 50% off just about any item. And that's not all. There's more. You'll also receive three free adult DVDs plus a free extra gift plus free shipping on your entire order. Check out adamandeve.com today for this special offer. That's adamandeve.com and enter SAVAGE at checkout. Hi, Dan. I am a 32-year-old straight female in my first polyamorous relationship. I met my boyfriend at a club, and he has a primary girlfriend that he lives with, and she has another boyfriend as well. So there are four of us in this thing, although I only sleep with my boyfriend. I've been with him for eight months. We all had STD tests and showed each other the results, and we don't use condoms with each other. (laughs) We are all really open and honest about it if we have been with other people, though. I believe my boyfriend, who has a really high sex drive, is going to find another partner soon. My question is, I have an unrelated friend who has recently been diagnosed with herpes, and she said that if any of us have sex with someone with herpes, it can be spread through skin-to-skin contact. Of course, he would use condoms with any new people, but the herpes thing freaks me out. I'm not sure what to do when he tells me he has sex with another person. I was thinking I would insist on condoms until we are all tested again, but if herpes is skin-to-skin, will that even be effective? I'm new to the poly lifestyle, and I just really need some clarification. There are trade-offs. You can have one sex partner and very low risk for HPV, for herpes, for other STIs, or you can have um, lots of partners. You can have a cast of thousands, but you're not going to be at low risk for herpes, HPV, other easily transmitted, Mm -hmm. sexually transmitted infections. That, That is true. The most common STI really is HSV, herpes simplex virus. The most commonly diagnosed is actually HPV, which we've talked about in the past. HSV is so common, and you can't tell who has it. We had a conversation already a little bit about how is this really a big deal or is it not a big deal. Condoms do protect you from the risk of getting HSV if you've never had it before, remind you if you've never had it before, by about a half. And then being on a medication that suppresses virus, that reduces it by another half That again. reduces the ability to pass it along. This is a right. clump of people who all say they've tested, that none of them have herpes, but they're con- it sounds like they're always dragging in new partners and new sexual contacts. It just If you're stressed out about getting herpes, this is not – the relationship model for you. No, you're making... You're signing up. You're signing up. For herpes. You're signing up for risk. You get into a car every day, you're signing up for some risk. You can buy an insurance policy so that you... You can wear your fucking seatbelt. You, you can do a lot of things. You, you can not run a red light. You still might go through the windshield. You still might because there's somebody out there that you don't know. 
and you don't know how they drive, and you don't know if they have herpes or not while they're mm-hmm. driving. Um, I didn't realize you were at risk of contracting herpes just by getting an offender bender, but you learn something new every day. Every day. Every week here on the podcast. That's right. So what's your advice to this girl? Like, so, Do we tell her to get out of this polyamorous relationship if she's terrified of herpes, or do we say, like, stop being so scared of herpes? Risk-benefit, risk-benefit. Risk-benefit. If you're terrified of getting herpes, and I will say for a woman it is a little different issue. If you're a woman who does plan to have children in the future and you do get herpes, there is a higher risk of having herpes outbreaks during pregnancy. And a common reason for C-sections is herpes. Okay, so that was a f- several leaps there. Mm-hmm. So for somebody that's not planning on having kids or for a man – Herpes becomes really a social issue. It's not going to cause cancer. It's going to cause outbreaks. Those are uncomfortable. We can treat those. It'll cause uncomfortable conversations. Some people may not want to sleep with you. Right. And makes it hurts your feelings if they don't want to sleep with you. Please remember, it's not they're not sleeping with you. They're not sleeping with your herpes. That's an easy thing for me to say, but that's really what it comes down to. You know, blame them for being judgmental, whatever. The, the the one point is most of the time when you go in for STD testing, you are not getting tested for herpes. The best test for that is a blood test that is a type-specific blood test. There's a few out on the market. Um, and you need to be tested for the IgG. The IgG component shows up three to four months after you were infected. So let's say today, Dan, you go home, you find some blisters, you say, oh, my gosh. You go in, you get a blood test, and it's negative. I don't care if it's negative today. I care about if it's negative three to four months from now. The reason I'm mentioning it is any day that you go in might be a day where your test is positive. We know you've had it at least once somewhere before three months ago. Or if it's negative, we know that you haven't developed an- antibodies to it. Yet. Yet. You could still already have been exposed. You need to t- I mean, if these if this poly crowd yes. wants to you know wall off their relationships and, and themselves from herpes they all need to test wait test again yeah. and then they need to build a really high wall around their relationship they need to have a barrier to entry you can't just jump into their pool anybody else at this guy that she's seeing who yeah. has a harem apparently and is always dragging a new sex partners anybody else that he's interested in is going to have to test wait test again before she can jump in if everyone wants to be assured that they're at no risk of contracting herpes in this polyamorous If they want to have no risk ever again. That's an unrealistic expectation. That is an unrealistic expectation, and she's got to either jump in or jump out, depending on how well she sleeps every night. I mean, sleeping, sleeping, not... Banging, sleeping. Not that kind, yeah. Uh, Me and my husband have been together for five years. Um, We've been married for a year and a half. About nine months before we got married, we both found out that we had genital herpes. So um, before that time, our sex was great. I would go down on him all the time, and, you know, I never had any issues with our sex life. After we found out, um, our sex life pretty much dropped down to nothing. We went from having sex probably three, four times a week to maybe once a month. And, you know, at this point, you know, we've we've known for a little over, you know, over two years. 
so um, we're starting slowly to to get back where we're more intimate. You know, not even you know, not only in bed, but you know, um, just intimacy in general. But my issue is that um, I can no longer go down on my husband, and that has been a very big issue. Um, we've tried everything that we can think of. You know, I've tried condoms. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried everything, and I just want to satisfy my husband. She's breaking my heart. How? Why? Well, I think I'm going to just come right out and say it. You should have oral sex with your husband tonight. Are you telling her or are you telling me? No, I'm telling her. You can do whatever you want tonight, but she... <laughs> Well, you're just looking at me right in the eye when you said that, and I got confused well, about who you were addressing. Because I felt so taken by her story. So here's here's why. Um, only 10% of people know that they have had HSV-2, which is probably what he has, HSV-2, although he might have one. That's the one that comes from the mouth and very well. And you can get either in either place. You can, although HSV-2 really doesn't like to be on your mouth. It really likes to stick down around the genitals. Mm. HSV-1 prefers the mouth, but it certainly occurs in the genital area as well. Um, So why should she blow her husband tonight? Because 9 out of 10 people don't even know they've had HSV-2, and she is probably one of those 9 out of 10 because they had a very – Healthy, normal, active sex life before they got the news. That he has herpes. That he has herpes. And just to blow her mind, she could have given it to him. Absolutely. She could have herpes, be asymptomatic, be shedding. He could have acquired it from her. And the reason he has herpes is because he was exposed by her. You did it, Dan. You can you graduate from medical school now. <laughs> <laughs> you did it. <laughs> That's right. So a couple things that she could do to make herself feel a little bit better about it, maybe, I'm hoping, um, get a blood test, IgG. IgG is going to tell her if she had HSV-1 or HSV-2. If they're both positive, oh, thank goodness, then do can, whatever you want, whatever you want. Then they can calm the fuck down. Absolutely. Get on with it. Have fun. If she happens to not have had HSV-2, and he happens to have HSV-2, and they have oral sex, the worst thing that's going to happen to her, she's going to get an outbreak in her mouth, unlikely, because it doesn't like to be there, and she'll never get another one again, because HSV-2 in the mouth doesn't like to cause those cold sores that can come back and again and again and again. So at the very worst, she's going to have a single episode. I have a medicine for that. She'll feel a tingle, a burn on her lips. She'll say, oh, bummer, I got it. I'll give her some acyclovir, valcyclovir, famcyclovir, all of them work. And that'll probably be the last episode she ever has. And isn't he worth it? I mean, I listen to something like this and I just think if the love of my life had herpes and we found out when we were together, I don't think I'd have it in me to deny him oral sex all the rest of his life. I think I'd just join hands and jump off the herpes cliff with him. I'd like her to do that. I'd like her to do that. Now – if they're planning kids... Now, I mean, we're going to get calls saying we're being cavalier about a sexually transmitted infection. Yes. It's very serious, very consequential. That There are studies that show that there's a relationship between having herpes and the ability to acquire HIV, although those studies are problematic, I think, when you read the methodology, blah, blah, blah. 
What do you say to those people who are going to be jumping down our throats in the messages this week? What I say is these two delightful people who, by getting married, I presume, are looking for a lifetime commitment. I don't know whether or not they have partners outside of that relationship. But they're looking at a lifetime commitment. They enjoy a certain type of sex. Her risks are low. They're not zero. So she has to make a decision. What is my risk if I don't have it and if I do require it? Acquire, not require. I require herpes. <laughs> I require my herpes. <laughs> um, Sorry, I was the line from the importance of being earnest. I no, require okay. tea. I require herpes. <laughs> You're so erudite. I'm totally gaying out at this moment. You're I'm just sorry. erudite. I love it. So really for the rest of her life, what is it that's of the most importance to her? Now, she didn't mention having just straight up vaginal penis, vagina, vaginal intercourse. So – for me, the, the thing that can put her at a little bit more risk is HSV2 in the vagina, around the vagina, on the cervix, if she's planning for kids in the future, or if she's planning to have partners that do have HIV risk. Because as you said, there is some of that risk. But it sounds like she's worried about the wrong thing. If she's worried about the most consequential health problems that may come her way, if she's exposed, it ain't oral that she needs to worry about. It's, it's not vaginal. Oral. Yeah. And since she didn't mention, we, presumably she's just – Having vaginal, you probably maybe using condoms doesn't eliminate the risk. No, and denying oral and this pleasure that they both really enjoyed out of fear, all disproportionate to the actual risks. For her, yes, it is disproportionate to her actual risk. Um, he can also take suppressive therapy. So I'm I'm kind of curious because we had another uh, call that came in about how my boyfriend slept outside of the relationship, got herpes. Often we are wrong as providers in diagnosing a primary occurrence. So it does mess up a lot of relationships. Somebody will come in and say, I've never seen this before. It doesn't mean they never had it before. So now Because you can be carrying think, herpes for a very long time before you have your first outbreak. You will have or your an outbreak, second outbreak. Right. Your second absolutely the, the first one you notice, because many people have that first outbreak and they don't even notice it. Yeah. Teens are classic. They think they wiped themselves too women, they wiped themselves too hard after going to the bathroom and they didn't think it was herpes. Really a classic. There is one other thing I want to add to that, and that is that when you are in a relationship and you're, you're, you're newly dealing with this question of herpes, do not make the assumption that your person went out on you. That is very, very common. People say, oh my gosh, you absolutely must have had sex with somebody else. So I'm thinking about this particular Woman, And I hope that when this diagnosis came up, it wasn't necessarily a big issue or a big question about, did you cheat on me? That's a little different discussion and it's got to be tackled with a great deal of honesty and uh, trust between the two people. Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a straight 25-year-old female. Um, I moved away from my hometown two years ago for a job and I live in a big city. I was dating this man who I was completely in love with. We were I was 22 when we met, and he was a little bit older, like 24. So, you know, we're still too young, in my mind, for anything seriously serious to happen. But we really fell in love. We really hit it off. We had this amazing, you know, amazing sex. But anyways, I decided I had to move away for this job. At this point now, it's been two years um, since I moved away. So I'm thinking about returning now to go to grad school, actually for public health, because not only am I interested in fertility awareness awareness method, but um, 
uh, after listening to you, I'm really, really psyched on learning more about reproductive health, et cetera. Anyway, so I'm, I want to go back to grad school. I want to go return home, but mostly um, I also want to return home to restart this relationship with this guy. We had this conversation about me going to work maybe for like a pro-choice organization or, you know, just what I'm going to do with this public health thing if I get my degree. And all of a sudden we have this huge fight about he's totally pro-life. He was raised Catholic. I'm totally pro-choice because I believe what every woman slash couple should do is, you know, personal to them. You know, do what you need to choose, you know, to do what's good for your life. We have this whole conversation, got really pissed off at each other, and that's totally making me question whether or not I'm going home or not and whether or not I can actually be with this guy. What do you feel? Do you feel I can make this work? Do you feel that even though he's completely pro-life and I'm completely pro-choice and I might want to do something related to that with my life, how can I make this work? I'm going to go out on a limb here. You work for Planned Parenthood. I work for Planned Parenthood. Presumably you're pro-choice. I am. We are. Have you ever or would you ever date a Catholic anti-choice nut? Your question is litmus test or no? Yes. Usually there are things that go along with that point of view that would probably make me less likely to be dating somebody that had that point of view. It's not usually in a vacuum. There's a lot of questions I would ask that can get underneath the surface of that. When we have somebody coming into our organization as an employee, we we have a step called values clarification. I kind of don't like the term because it sounds like we should clarify your values so they match ours. But really what it is. We have that too here, and that's exactly (laughs) what we do. We clarify your values, match ours. We just break that person. It's like Est from the 70s. Break Uh, the person down, rebuild them to our liking. But go ahead. I feel sometimes that that's what it looks like (laughs) at our end. And I hope it's not how it feels. Um, so this, this dives into a whole host of things. So my, my question for this caller is, is this your litmus test? Is this a self, is this an individual question that there's a right answer and nothing but the right answer will do? And I think it might be because she's not just pro-life or pro-choice and he's pro-life and they can agree to disagree. She's thinking about making reproductive health and pro-choice her career, her life's work. It's going to be hard to like come home every night to – your Catholic husband who disapproves mightily of everything you did that day and have this fight over and over and over again for 30 years. That will be a hard thing if that disagreement continues. What I find, and I, of course, see patients also in abortion care, what I find is that where people are today is not usually where they're going to be after they have had to actually look at this issue very deeply. Some of the values clarification— So you think she should surprise him with an unplanned pregnancy and then see how he feels about choice? I wouldn't recommend that as a method, but I bet she'll find that things are a little different should that happen. I was going to say, the one caveat to what I said before is going to be how old is he, how much life experience has he had. You know, we have this sort of culture now where young people who've never really faced a difficult choice, who've never had a life crisis or their friends have not had one yet, assume this pro-life posture because it makes them feel pro-baby. It makes them feel ethical and moral and it's easy when you haven't been brought into conflict, when there hasn't been an unplanned pregnancy or a life crisis or a sibling who's had that crisis. And then people reassess. But should she hang out that long? To He may change his position, but how much time is she willing to invest in him before he does? 
And then what if he doesn't? And those are questions only she can answer. So there are a couple of interesting ways that they might go about working this through together. One is that there are these values clarification exercises that you can download. Some are on our website. What's the right choice for me? Making pro and con lists. Plannedparenthood.org. Planned Parenthood, uh, PPFA.org. Um, Sorry about that. That's okay. There's also ProChoice.org. That's the National Abortion Federation, which has some of these materials. And then the Hope Clinic in uh, Shreveport, Louisiana, has put out a really, really nice book on what's called options counseling. A lot of those questions will get to the meat of what do I really mean when I say pro-choice or pro-life? And when with these tools, she can really unpack the issue with him and they can see where they're really at. And they may not right. be as far apart as just slapping the pro-choice, pro-life labels on themselves. Right. So, it you know, them feel. Yeah, I was asking that question. Okay, a 13-year-old is raped. What about that? Um, somebody that has lymphoma and has to start treatment right now or they'll die and they already have three kids. What about that? So you can – I think those are the easy ones. Um, the more challenging ones are, well, I got into grad school, and now what am I going to do? So there are definitely some tools out there to use. Um, I do like to stay away from the, quote, pro-life, end quote, uh, moniker, because, of course, it does have this very nice positive spin. Of course, we're pro-family. Of course, we're pro-baby. We're pro-family and pro-baby for people that want to be in a family with kids, and to have babies. So the real issue comes down to, I think, for many people, of not knowing what you'll do when you're in that situation. I see patients on a weekly basis that so you recommend, are right there. You recommend these worksheets and these books, whereas I recommend surprising with an unplanned pregnancy. Yes, I think. And that's I'm, why I'm, you work where you work and I work right. where I work. Exactly. <laughs> Anna Kaminsky, thank you so much for joining us today from Planned Parenthood of the Great Northwest. Well, thank you. It's been great. You're very informative and very well-spoken. Thanks. And I feel like, once again, I need to mention my cervix because I am offended. I want to see that that cervix of yours. Where have you got that? I'll email you a picture tonight. Okay. I'm ready. Hey, Dan. I'm a 45-year-old gay guy from Vancouver, B.C. How's it going, eh? Anyway, a question for you about lube. Uh, my husband and I, yeah, one of those funky gay marriage couples, what can I tell you? We recently discovered, or he, uh, he rediscovered the joy of fucking with oil rather than water-based lubricant because, well, with us it doesn't really matter. There would only be an immaculate infection in terms of things like HIV, so and we're both nowhere negative. So, But anyway, I digress. Uh, so we've been using oil. We've been using mineral oil. It's been really good and kind of groovy. Really, really, really enjoying it, but it's a bloody mess. And I'm assuming because we're buying it from a drugstore, it's reasonably okay to put up, up my pooper. Question for you is... Are there some oils that are better than others? Uh, this is all, of course, using non-condom sex, which uh, is okay with us married old farts. Joining me on the phone from New York is Al Feldman, owner and founder of Boy Butter Lubricants. Hey there, Al. Hi, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Wonderful. Okay, so this gay couple, is they're condom-free. They say they're both negative and it's not an issue, and I hope that's true. Uh, and, you know, I totally support folks not using condoms in long-term relationships. Uh, and so they're able to switch back to oil-based lubricants, and they've gone straight to mineral oil. Is that a good idea or a bad idea? Um, well, you're talking to a gentleman who uh, started a business on an oil-based personal lubricant, which is uh, boy butter, if you're aware of it. it is uh, My original product is coconut oil-based. Aware so of it? I'm sitting in some. Just go on, please. <laughs> yeah, um, so am I. What a coincidence. <laughs> you're soaking <laughs> um, in it. Yes. Well, as a gay man who makes lubes uh, specifically for the, the 
you know, gay sex. Uh, we also uh, have great lube. Women use it. We have a lot of, it's great for both men and women, but oil-based uh, products are the best for the male body. Since we don't self-lubricate like women do, we need something that's a little greasy. Okay, little. but grease doesn't work with condoms. It dissolves latex, so we're only talking about using oil-based you know, an established long-term relationship. You're both tested if you're negative yes. and you're aware of your status and you trust the other person and they trust you. Um, but they're using a bottle of mineral oil from the store. And it yeah, sounds like, like it's what I did when I was 13 years old. <laughs> it sounds like it's making a mess. Uh, it's yeah, it's pretty messy. It's, it's non stain free like our product is, but it will, it, it will, uh, last longer than water-based lubricants. Mineral oil. Uh, Yes, mineral oil. All oils are going to be lasting a lot longer than any water-based lubricants like KY or Wet or Astroglide, uh, which are made specifically for female bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're not using condoms, oils are preferred, especially uh, if you're both men. Um, so you're endorsing them just using mineral oil if they don't mind the mess and how slick it is. Absolutely. I think that oils are uh, made for the male body, and that's why when we're 13 years old, when we're just starting out, to be sexual uh, with masturbation, we reach for the Vaseline, we reach for the baby oil, we reach for grease because grease lasts longer. Some of us reach and for the stars. Yes. But we'll, well settle for the grease. Hope, now, yeah, hopefully you'll, you'll see the stars. Let's plug your product, if I can use that expression, because sure. unlike a bottle of mineral oil from the store, which is going to run through your fingers, it's going to run down his crack and onto the sheets. Yours is emulsified, so it kind of stays where you put it. Doesn't get everywhere. Yeah, our uh, or oil-based product, which is our original boy butter product, is coconut oil based, and coconut oil is a very popular massage ingredient. Why? Not only is it really gentle and uh, hypoallergenic, but um, it's uh, it has a very subtle taste, smell, but it washes off with water, so it's totally water soluble. So you'll have the same kind of feel that you want, that long-lasting grease. But once you're done, you're done, and you want a good cleanup. This is, it, it just washes off with water alone. And I so, can personally attest that it doesn't get everywhere. Yes. Like a bottle of mineral. Stay, yeah, it's supposed to stay where you put It's it. like the difference between you know a bottle of water and a, a tub of frosting. Absolutely. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, when you're you're at work and you look around and you're shipping all this product, you just look and think, I'm getting a lot of people butt-fucked today. Uh, yeah, I do. But listen, if you are in a relationship where you're not using condoms, uh, that's a great product to use. But we also have a water-based product that's also a cream. And we invented the first cream uh, that is water-based. And you can use it with latex condoms, and you cannot. I, I am in a long-term relationship. We don't use condoms, but uh, we still use our water-based uh, cream because creams uh, will last longer. Uh, they don't get sticky, they don't dry out uh, because of the texture of the cream, and I only make creams, that's my focus, um, and they, they wash off with water, so it, it'll last as long as you need it to, yet it cleans up as you need it, as easily as you need it to as well. A.L. Feldman, owner and founder of Boy Butter Lubricants, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, sir. Talk to you soon. Thanks, everybody, for your calls and your comments. Thanks to Anna Kaminsky and thanks to A.L. Feldman from Boy Butter Lubricants. We're going to leave it there. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question for a future show or a comment, give us a buzz. 206-201-2720. 
H2OU. Download us every week at thestranger.com slash savage. I blog every day at slog.thestranger.com where you can read the Savage Love Letter of the Day. Or if you prefer, you can buy yourself the Savage Love app for iPhone at the iTunes store and have the Savage Love Letter of the Day in addition to lots of other crap delivered directly to your phone. And you read my column, Savage Love, every week. You can find publications across Canada and the United States and on fine websites like Nerve.com. 206-201-2720 is the number. Back at you next week. Me and the Tech Savvy at Rescue. Another installment of Savage Lovecast. Thanks for listening.